Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Branica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, your clap comes in handy for killing all the bugs in your studio, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. There's so many bugs in my studio that when we did our sync clap to start the episode, I just, by happenstance, killed a couple. <laughs> I thought you had a filter on your camera lens. It's it's just a cloud of gnats yeah. over there. Yeah, I'm sort of the pig pen of Star Trek podcasters, Yeah, which will come as a surprise to most other Star Trek podcasters that I am the pig pen of you. You're an absolute mess. Just look at yourself. Most other Star Trek podcasters claim pig pen status. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) We're a dirty lot. Do you know how many other Star Trek podcasts there are? God. If you were to guess, how many do you think there are? There's got to be over a hundred, right? Is it a thousand? I think there's over a thousand. Yeah, I bet there's over a thousand. I bet we're not the biggest one. I bet there are bigger ones that we've never even heard of, you know? Oh, like the ones in India or something? Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Star Trek podcasts in languages we don't speak that are in alphabets we don't even understand, so we can't even see that they're Star Trek podcasts. It's very difficult to get a sense for your place in the Star Trek fan culture ecosystem, right? We had an experience that really highlighted that the other day, which was we went out to the studio of Michael Moore, who Mm -hmm. is one of the people that made props for TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise. He's been on the movies, uh, does not have a lot of on-screen credit from what I can tell by his various complaints. To an unfortunate degree. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the prop people often go unheralded because, you know, it sounds like it's kind of like contract work, like we need this prop in this amount of time. They're not on the crew as such. They're just, you know, solo operators working in obscurity in a Van Nuys warehouse somewhere. But yeah, like (laughs) he didn't know who we were. We didn't really know much about who he was. We were talking about how like the conventions and other like fan organizations tend to really focus on the actors and the writers and producers and very little on on the prop people. I mean, in a way that feels similar to how he described his treatment by the shows that he'd worked on. These shows need the stuff that he makes. And it kind of felt like a, a, a parasitic relationship. He was a little bummed out about it, yeah. in my opinion. It seemed like uh, he made decent money on on the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, Van Nuys Warehouse money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have Van Nuys Warehouse money. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was very pleasant and very proud of his work, but really wanted to see the collection, dude. Yeah. And that was a man who did not want to show off his collection. Yeah. The coll- he was like, oh, yeah, that's all in storage. We saw some, uh, some Romulan ale bottles. That was cool. Sure. He showed yeah. us some uh, some like Jem'Hadar tricorders and Jem'Hadar costume pieces. He had a Dustbuster phaser on his computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't exactly give us the grand tour. 
Maybe someday. It sure did feel like a workshop, yeah. though, you know? Yeah. Like you go to anyone's place of work where they're a tinkerer. Oh, man. Yeah. The vibes of this place were just total tinker vibes. We got to go to uh, Adam Savage's workshop once uh, as part of mm-hmm. Sketchfest. And it, I think Adam Savage's is a little more camera ready, I have to say. <laughs> I think Adam Savage would have an anxiety attack being in the in the <laughs> workshop we were in yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it's like two different kinds of creative minds, right? The Adam Savage mind is very organized and you know exactly where things are where you need them. But the Michael Moore workshop is the same, except it just looks different. Like, Michael Moore knows where everything is. It's just not in a labeled box. Right. There isn't a box labeled like Russian whole boring device. Right. (laughs) That's a great penis tattoo. Mm -hmm. You just said. Yeah. Uh, we came into possession of something that I'm really excited about. I don't know exactly like what we want to do with it or or how we want to talk about it, but uh, we own a little piece of Star Trek history that is particularly important to our show. Yeah. We got wind of an item being put up for sale by Michael Moore, an item of great value to you and me, certainly, because it has to do with one of our favorite episodes of TNG. We paid the man his money. We got to go to the warehouse, did not get to do a tour, Yeah, but now we have it. I think we should share photos of what we got. Okay, all right. On Greatest Trek on Instagram. Yeah, head to the Greatest Trek social media accounts. We're on Insta, we're on Twitter, we're on Mastodon. You'll be able to see a photo of of what we got. In order to know, you gotta go. In order to know, you gots to go. Yeah, all right. Well, (laughs) there's no use putting off the inevitable, Ben. We've got an episode of Star Trek Voyager to talk about today. There's no other way to describe it. Oh, it's an episode, Adam. We were told by our beloved producer, Wendy, that this is a very significant episode to a lot of people who appreciate Star Trek Voyager. And as we were watching, I was trying to figure out why. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 21, Someone to watch over me. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Directed by B Dunks. I like that you can make a nice romantic date of Neelix's restaurant if you want to. You know, you don't have to, but if you want, there's placemats available, there's there's candles and things. If you had to choose, is the mess hall more of a restaurant or a break room? Hmm. I mean, I think it. I think I've got to go restaurant because it's 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 like Poppy's restaurant in Seinfeld. You know, it's that open kitchen where you can see everything. I just think that if Neelix took more care with the lights, it could be a restaurant. But right. it is lit like a break room almost always. Yeah, yeah. The lights are too hot. Yeah. Knock them down a little bit, Neelix. Yeah. Uh, daylight colored temperature lights don't <laughs> tend to make food look super appetizing, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. These two having a date. So when are you going to teach me how to drive? Uh, You sure you're ready? But again, I mean, how would we know? (laughs) How would anyone know what their relationship status is at this point? I think candles say date, you know. All right, that's fair. Especially if you have them in an extremely brightly lit room like this. It's like you are forcing date. You know what I like at a restaurant is the... Something a little extra, Mm -hmm. like not on the menu even. Like, 
amuse-bouche is often the term for something like this. But when Neelix comes by with something that's not on the menu, something that BLT and Paris didn't order, some of this cotty cheese. Yeah. This is an exciting moment. You got to try the new cheese, right? You gots to. And it's bland. It's not good cheese. Yeah. And that is exactly the goal. You're taking this mission very seriously. Well, the cotty are usually offended. This is something that's very difficult for Neelix to have done, right? Because he's usually steering food towards the piquant. Yeah. I do like that uh, that relationship with a chef where they come over to your table and say, like, here's something I'm working on. Yeah, that's fun. Man, no more respect from a chef than them wanting your opinion on their food, right? Absolutely. I know I'm asking the wrong person, but I think generally for people, when you're a kid, you kind of prefer the bland cheese. Right. Like when I was a kid and I was given like sharp cheddar, yuck. <laughs> oh, it's too sharp. Yeah. My my kid palate couldn't handle that. You were probably fucking around with stank ass cheese from a very young age. I did I did enjoy like a real spicy blue. Yeah. Etc. To the surprise of no one, but it made me think that these cotties, the species about to visit Voyager, has kid tastes. Yeah. Maybe they'll be like real immature when they beam up or something like that. Can't wait to meet them. <laughs> So uh, after sampling the queso, BLT kind of boils over because Seven of Nine has been kind of lurking around the restaurant, very obviously watching them and then taking notes in her iPad. And BLT kind of confronts her with this, like, hey, why are you staring at us and not giving us at least like the presumption of privacy in this public space? And it turns out Seven is sort of making an anthropological study of human humanoid mating rituals. If you could only hear yourselves. I know the very term is racist. (laughs) I really wish a through line for this episode was that because this is how her parents learned about the Borgs, this is how she's choosing to learn about the people aboard her own ship. Right. And it's really up to you to project that onto Seven's behavior. And I kind of wish it was more defined as a reason for her. I think because if you do that, it injects some sadness into it that makes her more of a sympathetic character in a way that I would really appreciate throughout the episode and especially in this interaction with BLT because as it is, you're on BLT's side here. This is kind of fucked up. Call 6A. Tell them there's about to be a medical emergency. Yeah, Seven's listening to them fuck. That's not cool, Seven. I mean, the whole deck is listening to them fuck is what we learned. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like those couples that move out into the sticks so that their fuck sounds don't interrupt neighbors. Basically, the only reason to move out of a city is (laughs) to let your fuck sounds project into the countryside. Uh So (laughs) when we come back from title sequence, Seven is getting a bit of a scolding from the captain who is dressed for diplomacy and uh, looking for loose pips on the floor. The captain is like, "Eh, yeah, like, I get it. I get why you're curious about this, but, uh, like, knock it off. Leave Paris and PLT alone. This is a starship, not a nature preserve. I don't really have a chance to help you out with this problem, because once I beam away, I will not be coming back this episode. (laughs) There's coffee in trying it yourself. Romance, I mean. So she and Neelix and Tuvok head down to the transporter bay. 
and they beam up Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall and Mr. Pitt from Seinfeld. When you need an uptight, stuffy prick. <laughs> Ian Abercrombie is basically number one on the list, right? <laughs> Just incredible to see Mr. Pitt on the transporter pad. Yeah. Oh, hi, Mr. Pitt. <laughs> I mean, saying nothing to diminish Scott Thompson, but like, what a pair. Yeah. No, I mean, I I wanted more Mr. Pitt in this episode. Yeah. TBH. I did too. Yeah. I, I was sad that he also, like Janeway, went away for most of the episode. Yeah. So the idea here is that once Tuvok and Janeway are given their ceremonial kitchen towels, the Scott Thompson character is going to remain on Voyager in the care of Neelix, and Tuvok and Janeway are going to beam back down to the surface with Mr. Pitt. Right. The Scott Thompson character. <laughs> were you with me at Sketchfest one time when we were behind a group of people to get into a show that Scott Thompson was on? And one of them was like, ah, uh, Scott Thompson, is that the guy that wears like the bowler hats and has a mustache? And the other one was like, no, that's Scott F. Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> no, you idiot. It's Scott F. Thompson. <laughs> They said the scientists couldn't create a perfect comedy combination. I think about that all the time. One of my favorite authors growing up was Scott F. Fitzgerald. You know? Yeah. Oh, he's great. <laughs> I loved uh, particularly um, the Ritz as big as a diamond. Yeah. It's about a very small hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, boys trip. <laughs> boys trip is what's going on on Voyager, and uh, we wave goodbye to Janeway, and Mr. Pitt, and to no security on this one. Right. Yeah. Doesn't seem like Mr. Toman is uh, going to be much of a security threat with how he begins his adventure. Right. His interests seem fairly innocent. Right, but but sort of a surprise to Neelix, who has been preparing all of these ablutionary baths and ways for him to practice his extremely rigid religious and cultural practices. Those of you that have ablutionary on your greatest gen bingo <laughs> game board, go ahead and uh, put your dauber on that one. <laughs> but he's like, no, man, I heard you have spicy-ass food. Hasparat. To put your own dish. Yeah. Take me to your mess hall. And uh, that is the last thing Neelix was expecting to hear from this guy. No one requests my food, he's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Six Bay, the EMH is checking to see if anything is wrong with Seven and making idle chit chat about how he heard that uh, BLT was once again threatening to murder her. Yeah, the doc as part of her normal checkup, asks how the peepin's going. <laughs> and if she'd like to stop peeping and start practice dating, mm -hmm. he's got a class for that. Yeah, he's diagnosed her with woman. Mm. and A terminal diagnosis, by the way. <laughs> what is your proposed treatment? Dating. He'd like to show her one of the many joys of, of being a woman. I'm sure all the yeah. women in our audience yeah. have enjoyed the dating process tremendously. And being taught how to be a good date by a man. <laughs> Which is exactly where you want to hear that. Yeah, you, 
if you're a woman interested in learning how to date, may I offer a mansplanation on how to do that? <laughs> what suggests the car crash that this becomes is that the doc is way more excited about this opportunity than she is. This could be an important stage in your social development. It's worth exploring. And she is very surprised, like anyone would be, that the doctor will be leading this class. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. He takes her down to the holodeck, and he's got one of those clickers like we have for our slideshows when we do live Greatest Gens. Yeah. And his slideshow is all about mating rituals among different species of humanoids. One of my favorite aspects to Star Trek Voyager, and they don't overuse this, <laughs> is the stock photo library that the doc seems to have access to. Like I know, they got... It's incredible. They got Bolians and Klingons like in makeup and yeah. put them in a scene to take a photograph for this shot. <laughs> it's amazing. It looks like a print toothpaste ad <laughs> or something. Just incredible work by the photography department. I know. It's so good. So, so yeah, the, the slideshow lesson uh, lands on human dating rituals after he goes over a couple of the weird things that other species get up to. But then it moves right into a, a practicum. They head to Sandrines, which... I was shocked that we went back here. I didn't think we were ever going to see Sandrine's again. Yeah, I know it. They went to a second location, which really should be lesson number one right. by the doctor, right? Like, nobody showing you a giant photo of sperm trying to penetrate an egg is someone you should want to go to a second location with. Doctor, <laughs> I am familiar with the physiological processes of sexuality. Oh. There's an imaginary version of this episode where the doc takes it upon himself to demonstrate all of the warning signs right. that you can run into <laughs> as a woman who wants to date, thus making him an ally. Right. But that's not really his MO here. I got a question about Sandrine's for you. You and I have been to a lot of bars together. We've been to even more bars apart. Mm. How many bars have you sat in that was bent the way that Sandrine's is. And by that, I mean the L arm sticking outward instead of inward, so that when you sit at its elbow, you know, you're wedged up against another chair in the elbow instead of like the corner of the bar is the best seat because you get the angle right. of the person. You, you get all the benefits of a bar and all the benefits of a table at the, yeah. at the corner. I can't remember seeing many bars that bend this way. No, it's a bad way for a bar to bend because when you pull your stool out, you're you're backing up into somebody. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be bumping someone drinking and that's how you start a fight. The only way to make this work is those type of stools that are like affixed to the floor. I don't like those stools. I don't like them either. Yeah. I want to choose how close to a bar I sit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an adult person. Who knows how closely to the bar they want to sit? I am sick and fucking tired of the nanny state coming in here and trying to tell me how high I should be, how close I should be, and whether or not I should be taking the risk of rocking back on the back legs. <laughs> That's my risk to take. Yeah. And also, 
Can we put backs on the bar stools? <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> so he's got like scripts for them to follow, like bar banter for two people striking up a conversation. This is one of the earliest moments that Seven exceeds her teacher, right? Because even she knows the only way to get to know a person is to go off script with them. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> She's not going to learn anything by doing sides with the doctor. Yeah. And uh, she's not exactly throwing herself into the role the way he is. Yeah. You're not giving this a fair chance. This exercise is pointless. He suggests maybe trying to strike up a conversation with a handsome young gentleman. <laughs> a bit of a Rick Moranis lookalike. Yeah. His name is Stephen Price. And uh, she sits down across from him and uh, they actually kind of get on pretty well. Yeah. I mean, you don't like that that Seven chats up the person at the bar reading a book by themselves. I think you leave <laughs> you leave the book people alone at the bar. Right. I mean, unless the book says like how to make friends and influence people or something like that, you know. Sure. If it's a performative book like I I really need you to talk to me, they they're probably open to it, right? Yeah. This really feels like doing a social interaction at a person. Yeah. Instead of like a mutually beneficial conversation or whatever. Yeah. But Steven seems happy to get the attention. Like hollow Steven acts a lot like what a normal Steven might yeah. when approached by uh, a comely young woman like Seven. Who's offering to buy him a drink? Yeah. Love that move, Seven. Yeah. He really grins and bears it through the broken bones in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Paris walks in and starts watching this scene unfold with the doctor. And Paris is totally incredulous about the situation, like anyone would be. He's a hologram. Your point? Paris knows that there's no challenge to a holodeck date. Like, this is easy. Take it from me, Doc. I've fucked a lot of the characters in some dreams. <laughs> I didn't exactly program it to be on hard mode. Fucking hollow Stephen Price? Why, I accomplished that feat no more than an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, where do you think I just came back from? I was washing my hands. <laughs> I was taking a sonic dick shower. <laughs> he absolutely drags the EMH with this line about it being the blind leading the blind. Yeah. And the EMH takes great umbrage with this and a bet is placed. All I do is bet, bet, bet. No matter what. EMH promises to get Seven romance ready to the point where the diplomatic reception for Toman that's coming up in a couple of days is going to feature a Seven who walks in with a date, socializes in a normal non-diplomatic incidenty way, and walks out with that self-same date. And right. Paris is betting the opposite, and the the stakes of the wager are a couple of weeks of uh, double shifts for Paris, or skipping those weeks right. if Paris wins. This being the late 90s, Ben, I think, suggests a truism mm. for TV and movies, and that is betting on people's relationships is one of the main stories <laughs> being told in movies and television of this era. Right. And uh, mostly bad outcomes when you do. I mean, this has changed, but in the 90s, people did not like that when you bet on their relationships. Right. 
we cut over to the mess hall where Neelix is feeding Toman like he's the gluttony sin in the movie Seven. <laughs> and the Star Trek foods on this table, Ben, look pretty good. I, I expected to see like the gross buffet of Star Trek foods that we've seen, right? You know, for years and years. No, I'd get down on all this stuff. Yeah, it looks like there's some like beets and uh, you know, maybe some like dried apricots. Doesn't really look like a spicy spread, specifically. Do you recall whether or not they are rationing replicator credits at this point? Because they are absolutely dumping those on this guy like he's an arcade game they're sticking quarters into. (laughs) I wonder if Neelix has like a bartender's tab kind of a deal where he he has more credits than than other people because uh, he can like do someone a solid if they're in a time of need. Toman is in the throes of a yogurt rumspringer. The texture is so frothy. He is not only gorging himself on all the food, he is leering at people in the mess hall. And he may just be willing to skip those religious services he had on the calendar in order to experience more of these uh, spacely delights. (laughs) The beautiful babes of of Voyager are turning him away from his faith. (laughs) And he hasn't even seen the uh, Delaney sisters yet, so. Can you make this, and he points to the yogurt, come out of that, (laughs) and he points to the girls across the mess hall? (laughs) Neelix is like, I got a holodeck program for that. Yeah. (laughs) Boys trip. Down in the cargo bay, because this is like the next day. Mm-hmm. Doc finds seven. They're uh, you know going to keep working on this dating thing. So he's got lots of questions for her, like what what are her personal interests when she's not marching around the ship, glowering and doing experiments in the ass lab. She tells him her her life goal is perfection. So she hasn't completely disavowed everything that the board collective stands for this is a sneaky good scene because the doctor is smart enough to recognize that in order to make yourself attractive or interesting you should be interested and attracted to right like seven what do you like what do you like to do what do you like to experience like With a background that includes hobbies and interests, the doctor knows that Seven will be a more interesting companion to hang out with. Right. So he suggests a hobby of singing and uh, brings her over to a computer and uh, shows her some sheet music. And she belts out some notes at him. She's got a great voice. La, 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 la. How badly did you want Seven to sing like Serena from Deep Space Nine? (laughs) Seven's like, I do enjoy singing, and then starts to sing in just a horrifying way. (laughs) The way Serena started to sing. I mean, eventually Serena sang great, but those first few bars, Mm -hmm. pretty tough. Anything from uh, Sound of Music would have been fine by me, Adam. (laughs) The doc hits up the demo key on the Yamaha keyboard and (laughs) 
creates a scene really that I think is without equal in all of Star Trek. When you see this on the page and you see it play out in the scene, it sure, it's cheesy, but I don't know that you could do it any better than this. And I think a big part of it is that Jerry Ryan is a really great sounding singer. Yeah, and so is Robert Picardo. Yeah, Robert Picardo isn't that bad himself. The track record that Star Trek, for some reason, has of scenes where two characters sing for kind of a long time and it yeah. works and is emotionally effective is maybe the most surprising thing about Star Trek, given the rest of it. <laughs> it's why they keep doing it, right? Yeah. Like, can you believe we can pull off this one weird trick? Yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah. But they don't overdo it also. Like, if they had, like, one of these I a think season, they come close to overdoing it, Ben. <laughs> it's like one a series, though, not one a season. Yeah. I, I would argue that's a little, a little much by half. A little aggressive. <laughs> well, uh, don't worry. There will be more doctor singing stuff for mm -hmm. you in the future. Can you reprogram him or something? There's a hitch in the doctor singing giddy-up. Midway through, it makes you think, do you think this song selection might be about the doctor's feelings for her? Yeah, it seems like he, he catches feelings mid-song. Yeah, as happens so often. I know that uh, pretty much every time I've sung karaoke, there's been a moment like that in, you know, <laughs> my rendition of I'm Afraid of Americans by David Bowie, where I looked at a woman from across the room and stopped momentarily the amorous lyrics of a two live crew <laughs> song <laughs> really changing the mood of a room yeah in the ass lab Enton Kim has a request for seven and notices that you know she did that thing that you need to do when you work in a office environment where people can just walk into your workspace whenever you gotta switch tabs seven because when Kim sees her list of dating candidates on screen, it invites a conversation she doesn't want to have. The conversation is about how she's trying to narrow down the dudes on the ship for potential dating prospects. And she's narrowed it down to two. And he ain't one of them. Yeah. And he takes some umbrage with the idea that Ensign Doug <laughs> and Lieutenant Chapman are candidates. Yeah. Not very nice to stomp Harry's nuts like this, but uh, she hasn't gotten to that part of the lesson plan. You know what's great about this list is that Seven sees past rank. She's willing to date an Ensign. And I guess that it's not Ensign Kim hurts, but that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a rank, so she can't be picky, right? But you got to imagine status is a form of rank, social status especially, and hers is much higher than Ensign. Fair, fair. Yeah, he says that uh, Ensign Doug is a dickhead, so Lieutenant Chapman, it's going to be. Chapman takes a really good crew photo. When we finally meet him, I'm like, oh, <laughs> he did not look like his dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> he kind of looks like Damian Lewis a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I got some of that. Yeah, he's, Good call. he's a little nervous and a little bit surprised. And Seven is kind of stumbling through her invite for this date because uh, she's really used to just like announcing what somebody's going to do and not inviting someone to do something. Yeah. Lieutenant Chapman may be experienced in dropping tools at the job site, but will he be dropping a tool in that ass tonight? <laughs> 
<laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Chapman like leaves work early and goes back to his quarters and just furiously pounds some out. Like he does not stop at two or even three. Yeah. I don't think he leaves work. I think he's in a Jeffrey's tube. That's privacy enough. (laughs) (laughs) The date is going to be in Sandrine's. And uh, Seven is like telling the doc about this when uh, Paris happens to be around and Paris is delighted to hear who her date's going to be because he tells the uh, the EMH that uh, Chapman is a, a legendary nervous Nelly. Everyone can see this. Like, Seven is an alpha of most of her situations. And Chapman, I mean, he's just a puddle. <laughs> Poor Chapman. Yeah, a puddle waiting to be stomped in. And uh, Yeah, like... Chapman would put his coat down over his own puddle right. so Seven could step in it to pass. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the puddle taking a coat off and yeah. putting, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a mind-shattering metaphor, but it works. In an episode that, that depicts uh, changelings dating, I bet that's a fun bit of the montage, right? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> The doctor, undeterred, thinks that he should make things even harder for Lieutenant Chapman, which is uh, help Seven get a little bit more dolled up for her big date. So he heads down to the cargo bay and suggests that she get some heron wardrobe modifications for this thing and uh, gets a little handsy with it, I would say. Like, takes her bun out, sort of without asking. You really shouldn't touch bun without consent. Any kind of bun. But we speed past this moment into the scene where it is made clear that every woman who's ever let her hair down becomes instantly the most beautiful woman in the world. Right. Because holy moly, like hair down Jerry Ryan is almost too powerful a force for this show. <laughs> <laughs> She walks into Sandrine's wearing a dress for the first time and uh, finds her date. It's crazy that her dress is more demure than her work uniform, right? (laughs) Right. Like she covers it up. Right. Leaves a little bit more to the imagination than normal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, for his part, Lieutenant Chapman is wearing the thick brown carpet samples of a man who... Furiously pounded one out several times before getting there. Right. And uh, does not want to show that wrecked penis to anyone at the end of this date. This is an almost comically boner obscuring garment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he he walks her over to their table and they they sit down. Turns out the doc is going to be playing the piano in the restaurant for this, which feels uncomfortable. I don't like the peeping yeah. the doc is doing here. Like, this is not a test. This is a practicum. This could be a cute scene because they really do have a lot in common with how nervous they are to be on a date. But with the way Seven treats the staff... Server, report to this station. We require your assistance. You get a sense that she's going to tip less than 20%, and that puts me on the side of Chapman getting the fuck out. <laughs> I'm just as worried about Chapman. I mean, he's the kind of person that calls the waiter garçon. Garçon means boy. 
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Watch your attention. I can do it. 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 I can do
I have not had the occasion to order the lobster at a restaurant very often, uh-huh. like especially at a restaurant that has like the tank or whatever. Then <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. When you do order one, do you get to pick the size? And in certain circumstances, do you get to pick enormous? <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen a lobster this big. These these are absolute fatty daddy lobsters. They are comically big. They are far bigger than any one person could eat without getting sick, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Like one claw from one of these lobsters would be like enough lobster. We should have asked Michael Moore about the creation of the lobster for a scene like this. (laughs) Because they they clearly wouldn't burn two lobsters if they were real to just fling them open, to just fling lobster guts on Lieutenant Chapman. It's like 95 bucks worth of lobster here. The lobster guts go all over Chapman's face and cake, and he kind of passes it off as as not a big deal. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, he plays it off, which is a classy move by him. Fortunately, she hasn't put any of the cocktail sauce on her lobster yet, which I think would have made it a lot more painful when it you know got around his eyes and such. Do people eat lobster with cocktail sauce? No, it's drawn butter every time. You don't need cocktail sauce for a lobster. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we were on the same level here. I was making fun of the fact that there's cocktail sauce on the table. All right. It was almost like an L.A. prop person that doesn't know from lobster (laughs) eating put this scene together, you know? Yeah. It's a train wreck visually (laughs) as much as anything else. Chapman's like, Clearly, lobster time is not working. Maybe we could do something else as an activity. Yeah. They go hit the dance floor, and she does to his arm what she just did to that lobster tail Yeah, in fairly short order. Chapman goes down, and not in the way he'd hoped, and uh, (laughs) is told to report to Six Bay in defeat. The doctor does not tag along to treat him, though. (laughs) No. Because the doctor has seven all to himself now. Yeah, and that's what Paris is for, I guess. Right, yeah. I guess Paris can rub some dirt on a uh, dislocated arm, right? No need to mention how this happened. (sighs) Seven has great instincts and really has the whole episode because she wants to give up on these lessons that clearly don't work. But the doctor wants to dance, and when she agrees, it, it, uh, it goes a little bit better. Yeah. We get in this scene... In a quick comparison, right, the Chapman 7 dance scene is a middle school dance scene where you can see the entire fireplace between them. Yeah, it's very mid. And the dance scene- Is that what mid means when Zoomers say that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Of or relating to middle school? Mm Mm-hmm. And this scene with the doctor in 7, I mean, there's some body touching here. Yeah, they get close. She leans her head on his temple- Yeah. It's pretty intimate. Yeah. You like that. After a quick commercial break, Neelix comes into Sandrine's and finds Toman in there with, I guess, holographic babes. Are they like supplied by the bar? Like, like, does the program see that a horny person has come in and put objects for them to aim their affections at into the the game? It's a great question because Toman's been left alone And I just sort of assumed that he would be of the religious culture where he'd also be kind of a past person too, like not really knowing how to 
workaholic. Right. So like it's unclear whether or not the holodeck program conjured these people or or he did it himself. But right. one thing's clear. He's really Michael Baying around with his shirt open like this. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking smashed. He's hugging on these ladies. He's uh, decrying the blandness and strictures of his own society and talking about how he'd really like to uh, jump ship and, and head on out into the stars with the Voyager crew. Yeah. And poor Neelix, like on chaperone duty. This poor guy. Yeah. He is out of his element here. It's just the Sentinel talking. No! The Scott Thompson character, beyond his ability to rein him in. I was thinking a lot about how many like characters from repressive societies we've met in Star Trek and how it's a pretty normal Star Trek plotline for them to ask for the protection of Starfleet. Like, yeah. give me asylum on your ship. No one's happy to be repressed, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of what Toman is doing in this scene, but he's like too drunk to ask for it in a like diplomatically coherent way. So everybody's like, shut up, like you're too drunk. Yeah. We're sending you back. You're partied out, man. Again. He's behaving like a person who wants asylum, but he's unable to to articulate that. You're right. Yeah. So he's already partied out by the time he gets to his party. And he's got the shirt undone all the way down to the navel and uh he continues to just pound beverages. He's like double fisting at one point, loving all of the like popsicle stick grade jokes that Paris is telling him. And in walk seven and the doctor as her date. This seems like a loophole in the bet. Yeah. I mean, if I'm Paris, I'm definitely taking umbrage with this. It should void the bet immediately. Yeah. So here's a question of mine is, is that a conclusion Paris draws immediately and then decides to like find a fun moment to play that out or does Paris like accept that this is a valid way to play the game and then fucks up through naivete later I get the feeling that Paris is just kind of bored and <laughs> it doesn't really bother him either way right yeah you know? like, yeah I'll do your fucking two weeks of double shifts that's like more interesting yeah. than nothing I guess Chakotay with nothing to do this episode, gets one of the most what-the-fuck Neelix moments here, which is great. Because Chakotay knows well enough not to blame the drunk for the problem. He needs to blame the chaperone. Yeah. Is it my imagination or is our guest of honor drunk? Commander, I tried. And Neelix is like, Chakotay, you're on this show too? Wow. Okay. That's really great. Yeah. Why can't you recognize someone in the thralls of a vision quest, man? <laughs> That's clearly what's going on here. Yeah. That guy's talking to his grandfather or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is the scene where if Janeway were on the ship, would really heighten the tension. It's one of the moments where I was really sad that she was gone. Because if this was a episode set up where... You, you were meant to avoid Janeway. Like, we got to get Tobin out of this room because Janeway's coming. Like, <laughs> if it's like, keep away from Janeway, I think that really makes the episode a lot more fun. Oh, man. The, the boss is going to be so pissed. They kind of weekend at Bernie's Tobin after he's passed out. <laughs> right. That's right. fun. Put some sunglasses on him and be like, yeah, he's just, uh, he's just really vibing. It's just Bernie. Once he saw sunglasses, he just became obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> Completely innocent obsession, if you ask me. Yeah. What's wrong with that? They're just sunglasses. 
The doctor pimps seven into doing a toast here, and it's great. Why? Because it is classy and short. May you live a long life, and may my voice be the last thing you hear. Yeah. And, uh, and we're out. <laughs> this is unfortunately a bang-bang moment where you get the, the triumph of a toast well done and the realization that she's in a movie called We's All That. <laughs> my bet? My bet? Am I a fucking bet? It's not what you think. You fucked up, Doc. Yeah, you fucked up. Also, Paris is a messy bitch who loves drama. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like your middle read on that. Yeah. Because it doesn't come across as calculating when he drops that bomb. Mm -hmm. It really does come across as like a bored guy who just does the most chaotic thing at yeah. any given moment. Yeah, I don't read any malice in him at all. No. He's just trying to pass the time. <laughs> but she is understandably super offended that her romantic life was the subject of a wager. Clearly, I am not the only one who requires social lessons. She storms out. The extremely overserved Toman is... Uh, you know, trying to walk out with her to do some sexy time, which she rejects out of hand. And then he has a total fucking meltdown in front of the whole party. It's super embarrassing. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. When we cut over to Six Bay and Toman is lying on this bio bed, only a seasoned comic actor could lay in a bio bed this way to demonstrate their drunkenness, right? I love this move by Scott Thompson. Yeah. This person looks shattered. The previous couple of scenes, he's had to do the act drunk. And mm -hmm. there is like act drunk tragic and act drunk funny tragic. And he's definitely yeah. been doing the funny tragic. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the way he's lying in the bio bed is especially funny tragic. You'd think you'd be limited by the bio bed to suggest how you're feeling in this way, but great choice. They're standing around talking about how he, his system doesn't have the enzymes that break down synthahol. So I guess he's just going to stay drunk forever if they don't do something about it. <laughs> I love this idea. <laughs> yeah, he's like David after dentist, except for when he asks, is this forever? They say, maybe. Toman wants seven inside him. And by that, he means her nanoprobes. Yeah. Assimilating me. There may be some adverse effects. Please. But it's worth a try. And this is something she's willing to oblige to, uh, to get him back in order again. Yeah. And off to the side, she goes to, like, take them out. And the doc hits her up. And he apologizes for weasel adding her. And also... I guess, admits to being friends. <laughs> and when Seven agrees that that is what they are, this is a real nut smash for him. Right. Because, like, it was a good apology. It was. And you think, like, maybe there's a way to, to save this. Maybe he can recover and the, the romance can continue. But the doctor is no Paul Walker. No. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Yeah. Off to another side of Six Bay... The doctor asks Paris what to do when you've got a crush on a person, even if the other person might not have those feelings. And Paris is no idiot. Like, he knows exactly what this is about. Yeah. Paris wrote the book on what to expect when you're expecting romantic rejection. <laughs> Paris 
believes this is an incompatible attraction. And to demonstrate, he sings the lyrics of a very popular song on mm. the subject. The doc takes two steps forward, then two steps back. Just look at Paris, incompatible attract. You know it ain't science fiction, it's a natural fact. They'll come together, cause incompatible attract. Wow. <laughs> oh, it's been too long. Yeah. Yeah. Too long since we've had a good song parody on here. You were saying earlier it felt good to sing. It does feel good to sing. And whatever that was, it also felt good to do. (laughs) They've gotten Toman sobered up, but uh, he did not take his broads. Who knows if he'd even have the enzymes to metabolize broads if if he had taken that. I hope we never run out of the enzymes, Ben. Because then I'm taking enzymes and broad. His sort of implied request for asylum has been roundly ignored by the Voyager crew, and Neelix is going to (laughs) shove him onto that transporter pad whether he likes it or not. Do you think it has to do with him being such a sloppy bitch, though? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I absolutely do. Asylum for this guy? Fuck that! (laughs) Yeah, he just seems like too much trouble, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) The captain and Tuvok and Mr. Pitt materialize in Mr. Pitt comedically reveals that it would have been totally fine for Toman to uh, sample the wares. I love how Toman's hanging hair puff out of his hood. <laughs> yeah. Like they couldn't quite get him back in the hood. Yeah. Wasn't there a TNG episode with like the exact same premise, like the ambassador that loves the the replicators or something? Oh, probably. I mean, I don't think this is a, an entirely original story. <laughs> no, but a uh, nice amusing one. Neelix, uh, you know, smacks Toman on the back. Uh, goodbye. Oh, but they uh, they like head to the observation lounge to hammer out a trade negotiation, right? Yeah. Like this has all been in service of like minerals being traded to the Voyager, and the Voyager is only going to get to do it if they're deemed like <laughs> pure enough or something. Wouldn't you choose a different location? I mean, they're still running four rug doctors in the mess hall cleaning up after Doman, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The deleted scene of him projectile vomiting all over the buffet table. You saw how much yogurt he was eating. Can you imagine, like, he, he ate a gallon of yogurt and then chased it with a liter of booze? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a smooth passage, right? Yeah, it was like it was like the third act of Triangle of Sadness in there for a little <laughs> while. Oh, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Thumbs down. Did not care for. So we end in Seven's alcove where she finds roses. Also with the little spritzes, right? Yeah. When you buy the roses, you get the choice of uh, maybe adding some greenery or the spritzes. A little, little bit of baby's breath in there. Yeah. I have discovered that my wife does not care for the baby's breath, and I made the mistake of buying her the roses with the baby's breath many times before I found that out. Does she like Daron's breath? Yeah. Daron's breath is great. Okay, so it's not an all baby's breath everywhere hatred? All at once. (laughs) How could you not like baby's breath? It's totally unhateable. I think she likes it in general, just not with roses. Does she like sprouts on a sandwich? It feels like baby's breath to roses is like sprouts on a sandwich. You know who does like sprouts on a sandwich? This guy. Wow. I don't really like sandwiches, but I will fucks with a sandwich with some sprouts on it. 
And do you like baby's breath and a bouquet of roses? You know why? Because I don't think you can pre-package a sandwich with with sprouts. You know, yeah. the sprouts are yeah. going to be soggy immediately. So it's a real sign of freshness. Like this sandwich was made like minutes ago if it's got sprouts on it. And it's not going to be soggy and gross. Great sandwich hack, Ben. Yeah. Look for the sprouts. If you had on your bingo card, Ben having a sandwich tip, <laughs> go ahead and put your dauber on that one. Yeah. Seven almost catches the doctor, the rehearsaling. Yeah. For a tearful confession of love. There's that moment before she walks in and he's got to kill the program where like she looks at his mouth and that's the sign. Yeah. That's the sign that it's on, baby. Yeah. Is that thing coming in or what? <laughs> but it's just a holodeck simulation. Yeah. And when the real seven enters, she brings him an upgraded medical tricorder. It's not the romantic gesture that he was hoping for given all that's happened. I did my best to prepare my confession of love for Seven, but nothing could have prepared me for her bringing me a tricorder. <laughs> this is a gift that totally pushes the doctor off of the idea of his own grand gesture, right? Right. Like, this is shattering for him. It is. But a useful dose of reality also. Yeah, like... It's sad to be rejected romantically, but it's so much better to be rejected romantically in an unambiguous way than to just like never quite know. Well, I would add an addendum to that. Unambiguous and also humane. Right. Yeah. So I really like what Seven does in this moment. And it seems like she's thought a lot about it. And he grins and bears it and uh, expresses his gratitude. And then... The second she walks out, he boots up the Sandrine's program. And like three exact copies of Seven. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh no, we fade to black before we see what happens. (laughs) That's the Braga cut. Yeah. That's available for the uh, Too Hot for TV Voyager (laughs) VHS release. (laughs) Medical hologram reverse gangbang. This is another one of those scenes that doesn't work unless you have some specific qualities here, uh, Robert Picardo being one of them. Like, he can so often play the boob of an episode. Yeah. And there is some tragedy here to him and some hope also. Like, the choice of song is obviously very personal and appropriate, but his singing of the song sort of feels like a salute instead of a a dirge, you know? Totally. I mean, it's it's the single stringed instrument of broken holographic hearts. Yeah. He's going to be in that holodeck drinking alone for a long time <laughs> after this song is over. You just know it. Yeah. Until Paris walks in and just starts making <laughs> fun of him. Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Yeah, I liked it. Did you? (laughs) It seems like you didn't like it. It's sort of a miracle that a a piece of media made in the late 90s could have really gone into all the dark places that TV and movies frequently went at the time and somehow avoided those, right? Yeah. Yeah. And... 
not because the doctor was unable to take the story there, but because Seven was like granted the agency of calling her own relationship plays and deciding whether or not to pursue interests as available to her in the episode. I think the episode's made good by, you know, letting her take the wheel. Even though at the beginning, it really feels like the doctor is going to be the driving instructor. Right. Uh, that's really never the case in a way that I think helps. I think relationship episodes are some of the weakest form of Star Trek episode. And I mean, in that way, I think this episode is in that constellation. But I think it represents one of the best versions of that that we've gotten lately. Like, I didn't cringe. Yeah. I was just like, ah. You know? It's really sad. And I think that not a cringe momentness of this is actually kind of significant because so many of the relationship episodes of Star Trek are like incredibly cringy. It's kind of a low bar though, too. It is. When you put it that way. That's damning it with faint praise. Yeah. But uh, it definitely feels like maybe a counterpoint to the Janeway and Chakotay marooned on a planet together episode. Like it's the other romance that wasn't in the Voyager canon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if if it's J slash C, is this uh, EMH slash seven or or just E slash (laughs) seven? I like E slash seven. I just like how that looks. I think to summarize like that, it was heartbreaking in a good way. Like somehow heartbreak feels good in an episode like this. Totally. That's how you know. I think you got it pretty close to right. I think so. I th- <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I like this episode as much as I do, but I really did. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go find some priority one messages that we like almost as much. Okay. Maybe even more. It's possible. Anything's possible, Adam. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. If you love the way Ben and Adam focus on the details of seemingly unimportant characters and details and cited as examples the Bajoran Tablet, Kevin Uxbridge, Jim Shimoda, etc., then join a fellow friend of DeSoto on the new podcast, D-Listers of History. All right. We are a podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. Come hang out with us in the footnotes of major historical figures and events. (laughs) We might not be as famous as Chris Brenner of Brenner Information Systems, but... We have a good time. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to the podcast D-Listers of History, and you can find that on any podcast platform. Dang, I love that premise. This is a message sent to us by uh, a person named Faga. Thank you, Faga. I love that premise. If I wasn't an idiot that didn't know anything about history, I feel like I would want to make that podcast. Well, instead, you'll be a subscriber. Instead, I'm going to have to listen and learn things about history. Mm-hmm. D-listers of history. Great title, too. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Our next priority one message here 
is from Dave and it's Seneda. <laughs> I'm confused because there's a pronunciation field in our spreadsheet here, but there's nothing in that field. What it says in the two field is Neda, it's pronounced like Cheddar. It's a cheese. <laughs> so, uh, goes like this Macrodosing in the Tremota Temple, your first time, Cards Gambit, Wharf's Loaf, and then you joined their crew. Fully functional, pale dude, not taking any shit. Swingers Club, why did I buy these chairs? Manure? The voyage home from the bathroom. Jared's gift card. Anything goes. It's Apple Fest. This reads like one of those sections of the high school yearbook. Oh, yeah. Ri- written in code. Mm-hmm. I think you've just activated Neda. Yeah. Neda, it's pronounced like Cheddar. It's a cheese. Is that right. who you're talking about? That is the very same. Okay. The requested date was 420. So I'm going to also assume. Yeah, we're a little early, but we're close. Yeah, very close. Well, hope you have a great 420, Dave and Netta. Yeah. As well as any other FOD out there who is uh, dabbling with the microdosing. Mm-hmm. Or the macrodosing. Ben, our final priority one message is from Corey. It is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. Hey, Adam and Ben. Life seems to be a series of things that we don't want to do. I can tell you that I look forward to each and every episode of The Greatest Generation. It is often the highlight of my day. You guys always make me laugh. Thanks so much for the great pod. Oh, thanks, Corey. Boy, when Corey led off with, uh, you know, (laughs) life. That truism. (laughs) Full of just a bunch of shit, isn't it? (laughs) I did not expect a bunch of nice things to be said about our show. That's really cool, Corey. Thanks. Much appreciated. Well, if you'd like to say cool things about our show or your show or somebody you're celebrating 420 with, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set up a P1 today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I got to give it to Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson is a very funny actor who's, you know, like I, I... had a near religious fervor for kids in the hall mm-hmm. as a kid. It was so fun to see him materialize on a transporter pad and, you know, be like a, a total cad in this episode. Like, yeah. yeah, be a drunk asshole in a way that is just like so specific and weird and funny. And I think it's kind of rare for Star Trek to cast specifically a comedy actor like this for something, but they really nailed it with this casting. I thought he did a great job. I think so too. The kids in the hall were at San Francisco Sketch Fest a couple months ago, and I don't know what to say to comedy heroes when I see them. And so I like, I didn't have anything to say to them. And I wish I had seen this episode before because it would have given me something to say to Scott Thompson. It would have been really cool to talk to him about this episode. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've been in a hotel lobby or two with various kids in the hall, and yeah. I've, I've never had a good excuse to go up and and talk to them. Not that I, I would take an excuse to talk to a celebrity I admire, right? But it'd be nice to just have one if I, you know, if I had it. <laughs> well put, Ben. <laughs> My drunk Shimoda is going to be Lieutenant Chapman. I just think he knows what he's getting into, and he still does it. <laughs> he gets surprised by Seven in the. Jeffrey's tube, he has a chance to say no. I, I know 
you and I see ourselves in this. Like mm-hmm. the opportunities are plentiful to get out of this <laughs> train wreck before it starts. And he just keeps moving forward through it, experiencing Miriam defeats along the way. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably never see this character again. I don't know. Maybe we will. It'd be fun if he made it home. But uh, yeah, he. <laughs> what a character. What a story. Big fan of Lieutenant Chapman yeah. in this episode. That's what makes him my drunk Shimoda. Nice. Nice. Well, Adam, the next episode of Star Trek Voyager is season five, episode 22, 1159. Captain Janeway relates the story of her distant ancestor and her involvement with the construction of Earth's Millennium Gate. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if this is a story related to... I mean, the turn of the century that was to come in 1999, you know? This is a season whose air dates are in the middle of 1999, so maybe maybe this is taking advantage of that that great drama that we all remember. People were freaking the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Ben, I'm going to head on over to gach.biz slash game. It's where we play the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, and it's how we decide in what way we're going to be experiencing the next episode of The Greatest Generation. I can't wait. Ben, our runabout is currently on square 58. Four squares ahead. A space butthole that would take us down to the second row. Six squares ahead. Mm. Something we've never done before. Starship mine. Build a spaceship model while recording. <laughs> we've never done that before, right? I don't think so. I feel like we would have remembered that. Yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So kind of a lot on the line with this roll. Here's what you get. Oh no, Ben. <laughs> oh no. I have rolled a four. <gasps> it's tossed us into the space butthole and cast us all the way down to the second row into a Quark's Bar episode next. Wow. <laughs> We are on square 18. We really tumbled all the way back down into a drunk soda. Feels like it's been a while. Yeah, a long while. Um, well, you ready for that? I'm ready to talk about the Millennium Gate and drink some drinks with you, my friend. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <sighs> Should be fine, right? It most of the time always is. Usually mostly. All right, buddy. Well, that'll be a fun one next week. In the meantime, why don't we tell the folks how much gratitude we have for their support in our recent Max Fun Drive. That's been great. We're working on some really exciting stuff about live shows that we're going to be announcing soon. Yeah, as hard as we work during the drive, now the real work begins. (laughs) Indeed. Let's make some plans. Yeah. We got to thank everybody that did that and our producer, Wendy Pretty, who runs all of the uh, production and post-production stuff here at Uxbridge Shimoda Studios, without whom our lives would be a whole lot more complicated. Uh, We got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the original music for this show, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song upon which it is based. Check out Adam Ragusea's podcast over there at Adam Ragusea on YouTube. Gotta thank Bill Tilly, Card Daddy, 
who runs our social media at Greatest Trek all over the internet. Who also ran things so ably during the drive. Yeah. What a guy. Huge thanks to Bo. Let's shout out the Discord, Adam. Drunkshimoda.com. Yeah, yeah, drunks. Yeah, it doesn't even have the word Discord in it. Just go to drunkshimoda.com. If you're not really familiar with Discord, it's pretty user friendly to just sign yourself up there and uh, it's a great community of friends of DeSoto. Their communities on Reddit and Facebook and all of the other social media websites. There's even a Mastodon instance. Don't be intimidated. There is like a slight barrier to entry to the Discord, but I know you and I picked it up pretty fast how things work over there. And uh, it is well moderated by some really well-meaning folks. It's one of the reasons why it's such a positive and fun place to be. I really like it. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where we are once again drunk at the 11th hour. I'm going to be drunk past 11.59. tell you that much. <laughs> why stop then? Yeah. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.